A couple of months ago, I had the opportunity to go down to Florida for a rabbinic conference. It was actually sponsored uh, uh, in honor of Rabbi J.J. Schachter, who is a rabbi's rabbi, and about 80 or 90 rabbis from around the country who have been impacted, consider ourselves students of his, uh, joined together. And they brought in a number of speakers in honor of the conference, and one of them was Dr. Erica Brown, who if you haven't had a chance to read or listen to her material, she's just a powerhouse of a woman. And she ran a session which she called the Circle of Error, or Circle of Mistakes. And she gathered all of us into a large circle around the periphery of the room, all 80, 90 rabbis, and wanted each and, each and every one of us to come into the center and express or share a mistake, a rabbinic mistake that we have made over our lives. And as she said, we don't often have a chance to celebrate mistakes. So I'd like to actually celebrate these mistakes with a round of applause for each person who comes and shares an error that they have made. And uh, who would like to go first? The total silence in the room. I don't remember ever being in a room of 80 rabbis where nobody had a single thing to say. And most likely the reason why nobody wanted to step forward is we were all still working through the previous exercise which she had done with us, which was a much more introspective and deep dive into a rabbinic sin, she called that. Something that we had really done wrong and she wanted us to explore what buttons had been pushed and what we did wrong and what we could do better. But we did that just one-on-one with one person sitting next to us. And so now she wants us to share something publicly. Nobody wants to say anything. Finally, one brave soul raises his hand, one of the elder members of our group, and uh, steps into the middle and says, one time I was officiating a wedding. It was a second wedding for both the bride and groom for the chassan and kala. And after they entered into the chuppah, I took the mic to share a few words and I welcomed them both into the chuppah. And when I welcomed and introduced the bride, I introduced her by the full name of her first husband's last name. Oh, and everybody in the room is like, oh my goodness, oh, it's terrible. And Dr. Brown says, excellent, new, and starts to clap and wants everybody, and everybody gives this round of applause. And she says, we're celebrating our humanness, the element of imperfection. As rabbis and as people, I'm sure you're amazing 97, 98% of the time. And every once in a while, you're going to make a mistake. And we have to celebrate and acknowledge that we're we're just human beings. And so we gave this person this huge round of applause. And all the, all the rest of us looking around, like, you know, look at each other and we're like, oh, that kind of mistake you want us to share? Like 80 hands go up in the air. Like everybody has a story. The next guy walks up to the center and says, like, I did a funeral. I referred to the person who passed away as Sarah the entire time. But that was yesterday's funeral. Like everyone's looking at me the whole time. Like, who are you talking about? Oh, and everyone's like, oh my goodness. It's like, you know, the classic stereotypical elementary school's nightmare of going to school without his pants on. Like this is the rabbinic version of that total story. One guy got to the middle and said, I was at Kiddush one Shabbos and I'm schmoozing with some of my younger guys. And one of them said to me, I swore this is what he, I could swear this is what he said to me. He said, Rabbi, my wife and I are expecting. So I said, amazing, that's such great news. Three minutes later, I run into his wife at Kiddush and in front of everybody, I say, Bishah Tova, this is such great news that you're expecting. Except that's not what he said at all. I don't know what he said, but that's what I heard. And oh, and like literally the 80 of us are like bowled over like, oh no, like 
can't get worse. And each and every one got a round of applause, like, you're still here, the sun rose the next day, you made such a mistake, and, you know, it happens. <laughs> so I, I, I bet you're probably wondering what I showed. Mine wasn't actually so bad, but I had, I had done a wedding, and uh, it was actually my first wedding that I did when I moved into New York, it was for some old friends from Montreal, they were low 30s when they got married, everything was good, except the Kala's father, who was a little bit elderly, uh, was not able to make it to the wedding. He was in Israel, actually. He could not travel. So he was going to miss this momentous occasion, his daughter getting married. So we had arranged that he was going to read the ksuva. He was going to pre-record it uh, and send it to us. And when the time came during the ceremony to read the ksuva, instead of having it done live, we were going to have a recording of her own father reading it. That was like the best that we could do to really bring him in. And so this was like big on my mind. So they come into the chuppah and I speak and uh, we go through the, the bracha, they have a sip of wine and then I cue up the, the sound guy with this big announcement. And as you all know, the Kala's father is not able to be here, but we created this whole place for him. Um, and they start playing the recording and about three quarters of the way through the reading, it occurs to me that he hadn't given her a ring yet. Like they actually aren't married. And the only job that I actually had to do to marry them, like, it's like, oh, stop, stop, stop. And I was like, you know, in the scheme of things, not so bad, but I can tell you it's pretty embarrassing. When I shared this over Yantiv, so <laughs> he gave me a round of applause in the minion. Everybody uh, clapped for me. This idea, it's so powerful. We're, we're all human, we make mistakes. And it's the theme of Yom Kippur. It's the theme of being able to acknowledge that errors happen and being human is to err. We don't like being on the receiving end of it, but it's a part of life and it's a part of being able to move forward with that. One of the most, uh, such a strong uh, example of this is the laning, the reading that we do on Yom Kippur is the pinnacle of human experience of Aharon HaKohen, Aaron, the, the Kohen Gadol, steps into the Holy of Holies, the Kodesh HaKadosh. It's the place that only one person, only one day a year is allowed to enter. If we were to interview Aaron and ask him, you know, like, give me the top two, three moments of your life, I would imagine, I would imagine that concept of being able to be the one chosen to walk into that place, representing the Jewish people one day a year on Yom Kippur has got to be it. And we read about it. That is the entire laning in the morning of Yom Kippur. And what's fascinating is it begins, it begins with the phrase Acharei Mos Shnei B'nei Aharon after the death of his two children, the terrible tragedy and suffering that he went through, unimaginable pain. And then he has to bring, beyond that, he has to bring a korban, he has to bring a special offering, a par ben bakar, a, an egel, a, a young calf as a korban chatas, as a sin offering. And why does he have to bring the sin offering? Because the, he was involved in the greatest sin that the Jewish people experienced in the, uh, in the desert, the sin of the golden calf. The Chet Egel Aharon, was involved. He was the one who gathered together their gold. He was the one who threw it into the fire. He had a role in it, and he had to atone for that. And this is such an amazing just juxtaposition of these things. Because if we were to have stopped the story of the Chumash, we would stop the biblical narrative after the sin of the golden calf and Aharon's role. And we would have asked the question of, what's going to happen to Aharon now? Where does he go from here? What's the end of his story? I would have imagined that we would have all assumed, like, that's it, that's it, that's the end of it. It's like a politician who had some major scandal. He, he, he shirks, falls off into the uh, background and he's done with. That's what we would have thought would happen to Aharon. And he does need an atonement. 
and we remind him of that, he needs to bring that atonement before he can then take the greatest step of his life into the Kodesh HaKadoshim. And it's as if the Torah is telling us, you cannot be in here as a perfect human being. It doesn't exist. And so you're going to address your errors. You're going to address the mistakes. And then you're going to take your place in this great moment of Jewish history. But first, you got to acknowledge that which happened. And that's a part of it's a part of who we are. And in much less dramatic terms, I find our own community presents so many amazing stories of inspiration, of being able to err and then move forward. I had a woman this week, right before Yom Kippur called me and told me that we, uh, she had been at uh, one of the classes we had given uh, right before Yom Kippur. We were talking about the Rambam and the idea of tshuva, which of course has the two major components. One was, is asking for forgiveness. Um, and what we really highlighted was the second side of that, which is the person who's being asked, a person who's had something done wrong to him or her, granting forgiveness, not to be an achzar, not to be cruel, not to be stubborn, to be willing to forgive. And when you put those two together, the willingness to ask and the willingness to forgive, that's the, the derech of Zerah Yisrael, says the Ram. That's the way of the Jewish people, to be able to ask and to be able to forgive. We had a whole class on this. A woman called me up and said, after the class, I decided I have to send an email to someone person who I have not spoken to in 35 years. Something happened 35 years ago, and we have not spoken since. We literally turn our backs to each other when we see each other. There is no contact. 35 years. I don't even remember what happened anymore. Just that we have no relationship, and we used to be friends. And I came back from that class, and I wrote an email, and I apologized. And I said, I, I barely, I don't even know what, what, what went on. But it's so long. Let's move forward. Let's put it past us. And she wrote back, I forgive you. It's so simple, but it's so complex and it's so beautiful and it's so inspiring. The ability to change course, the ability not to be stuck in perfection. We make mistakes, it happens. And as human beings, we have to be able to move past it ourselves. And in the, as in this story, others are going to make mistakes. It's not just that we have to see ourselves as not perfect beings. We know that about ourselves. It's that that means others are also not going to be perfect. And when we're the object of their imperfection and their mistakes, and if they come for forgiveness to be able to change that course... We don't always get a round of applause for that. We don't always get a major announcement. But that is what Yom Kippur is, so that we could stand in front of Hashem too and say we're imperfect beings. We are just not. But we can live forward and move forward despite that. I just want to pivot and conclude. Today, of course, I'm recording this post-Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur was the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War. As before uh, Yizkor is recited, this is a powerful Yizkor, as Rabbi uh, Norman Lamb, Zechron of Racha, wrote uh, in his, spoke in his 1974 Yom Kippur Drasha, how this was the day that a whole new group of 2,856 parents, grieving parents, said Yizkor for their children who fell in war. It was a very costly war, as we all know. 
and on this 50th anniversary to acknowledge that. And I want to share a story that, that touches on, on this idea that was shared by Rabbi Yisrael Meir Lau, former chief rabbi of Israel, of course, wrote a magnificent book translated into English out of the depths about his own life story. And he describes how he was asked in, on Yom Kippur of 1974, the day after Yom Kippur of 1974, to come into a television program and run a memorial on the day after Yom Kippur of those who lost their lives. And the director of the program said that the network had already asked and gathered a crate load of postcards and notes that had been sent from soldiers from the front and that the rabbi should look through them and pick out a few that were worth sharing and would craft his program around that. And he writes in his book, Rabbi Lau, that there was one particular note that moved him to tears and that he still remembers by heart. Uh, to this day, it was written on one of those thick brown bags that you would either buy a sack of flour in Israel or package a, a little bit of cookies into. And uh, it was written, as he discovered later, after uh, finding out who wrote it, it was written by a soldier. It was written by a soldier who was the only child of Holocaust survivors. Uh, his, the soldier's parents both had lost previous children and wives or spouses, husbands in the war. And uh, these two survived, uh, the man and the woman. They met on a boat on the way to Cyprus after the war and married. And they had this soldier as their only child together. This soldier was raised in the Bnei Akiva movement in Israel as a religious Zionist young man, went off to yeshiva and then joined the army. While he was in the army, he met in his uh, paratrooper uh, training a woman, a young woman from the Hashomer Hatzair kibbutz, which is the most secular, anti-religious uh, kibbutz that there is. And they, these two would fight about everything. They would fight about religion. They would fight about divine providence, nationality, Jewish values, socialism, the Holocaust, you name it. They fought about it. At the end of their uh, terms in the army, um, she came into his office, um, said her goodbyes. And before she turned to left, said... I don't know how you feel about this, but I have to admit that my feelings for you go beyond our arguments. And I have one request. If I write you a letter, will you please respond to my letters? To which he said, sure, 100%. I, and then as she turned to left, he ran after her and said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I have to admit, I also have feelings for you beyond, beyond uh, just our, our fighting. But um, and arguments, but uh, we can't have a relationship. Uh, we our, our our lives are too different. My Shabbos is not like your Shabbos. My food is not your food. My understanding of the state of Israel is not like yours. I have two Holocaust surviving parents. I couldn't even dream of doing something like this to them. It's not. We have two different worlds. It's an unbridgeable gap. It's not going to happen. It's really just best we say goodbye, and they did. Three weeks later, she comes back to his office in civilian clothes and says, in the three weeks that I've been back in the kibbutz, I'm just not the same person. And everybody has noticed it. Something is different. I'm just not comfortable. I don't feel like it's my place. I'd like to try religion. I have some money. I'd like to help you help me find an apartment in Bnei Brak where he lived. Um, help me find a job and somebody to teach me. Give me six months to a year. Let me learn. Let me see what happens. And if it works for me and I decide to be religious and it still works for you, then maybe we can get back together. And that's actually what happened. They found an apartment with an elderly woman who needed help. She lived with her. She found a tutor. She learned. And a year later, they married. 
they were blessed with two beautiful boys. One was, the younger of the two boys was two weeks old on Yom Kippur of 1973. The war broke out. Midnight post Yom Kippur, an army jeep showed up at his apartment to pick him up. This young soldier kissed his two boys goodbye and never returned. After the war, the personal possessions that he had were sent to his almana, to his wife, and amongst them was this brown paper bag, a ripped brown paper bag with a message on it. And on it was written the following, my dear, it's either me or this note. Only one of us will reach you. If I come home, which is not my present feeling, you will never see this note. But if this note does get to you, it means that I'll never come back. And you will be free to begin a new chapter in your life. And this is the time to thank you, to thank you for the long journey that you have made for me. And I know what your considerations were and how difficult that journey was. And I've never expressed the appreciation that you so deserve. And as I have said, I do not, you do not owe me anything, but I do have one last request to make of you. Please educate the two boys that God has blessed us with in the same way that my parents educated me. Yours and signed off. And the widow of this paratroop officer asked Rabbi Lau, sharing this note with him, tell me, Rabbi, isn't this a lesson in ethics? And Rabbi Lau said to her, it is so much more than that. The uniqueness of this note expresses, on the one hand, what is in the mind of a Jewish combat soldier on the front lines, not sure if he'll survive another day, and what he's concerned about is the education of his boys, of his children. And more than that, he said, it's such a description of a young man who began this story so concerned with his parents. How can I do this to my Holocaust surviving parents? And ends the story looking towards the future of what am I going to do to look out for my boys? And this story, which comprises on, from the young woman's perspective, a total change and course of life. The role we play the role we play is as a bridge in between a generation that was and a generation that will be and the role that we have to look back and to look forward. And as Rabbi Lam, excuse me, Rabbi Lau concludes, there's no impressive monument in a town square for such a paratroop officer. There's no city street that bears his name and there's no stamp that bears his portrait. He was just one of the 2,658 victims of the Yom Kippur War, who we remember on this 50th yard site of that horrible war, who have taught us so much and sacrificed their lives for us to have the homeland that we do.